she's working. So, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. What I want to talk to you uh, about this morning is, uh, are you living in objection or subjection? Objection or subjection to the sovereignty of God. Uh, God is sovereign whether you object to it or you subject yourself to it one way or the other. doesn't really matter about the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign one way or the other. But we've got to make a determination in our lives as to whether we are going to live a life of objection, trying to turn away from the sovereignty of God, the rule of God in our hearts, our homes, our families, our lives, the Word of God being dominant uh, in our thinking, or whether we are going to bring ourselves into submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to the Word of God. The natural man, now that means the lost man, is uh, not in subjection really to anything other than his old nature. Uh, the reason is, is because, well, he's lost, he's dead, he has no desire for God, he loves his sin, he's not willing to turn away from it. We're born into the world filled with the spirit of insubordination. You know what insubordination is and what it means? It means that we are insubordinate, that means we are in rebellion uh, against authority, and what authority do we have in our lives other than the true authority of the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the deity uh, of God Himself, that He rules and reigns. It's a, um, as I think of Adam and Eve, we're the descendants of rebellious parents, amen? And because of their rebellion, their rebellious uh, character and nature was passed down to every man, woman, boy, and girl that's ever been born on the face of the earth. And uh, Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6 says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned to every man to his own way. And uh, you know, that, that, uh, that way has been revealed uh, in opposition to, to God. Uh, I love the way that it is put in Job chapter 11 and verse 12. It talks about the inheritance that we have gained from our parents, Adam and Eve, when it says this, man is born like a wild ass's colt. Now that's a pretty descriptive picture that it paints there, that, uh, that we're, we're hard-headed and stubborn like donkeys. We have absolutely no submission in our hearts, our lives, uh, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ until God moves in our heart, eliminates, regenerates, and draws us to Himself. Uh, but even at salvation, our wild and rebellious nature is obviously not destroyed. Uh, I still have an old nature that lives on the inside of me that raises up its head on a daily basis and draws me away from the holiness of God, from the things of God, from the love of God, from the Word of God, from the will and the way of God. There's something, even though I'm a child of God, even though I'm saved and the Holy Spirit of God lives on the inside of me, there's something else still alive on the inside of me that I feel drawing. You know what it says in Romans chapter 7, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those are the things I wind up doing. When I would do good, evil is present with me. Who's going to deliver me from this body of sin? Well, I thank God through Jesus Christ. The only hope 
that we have, whether we are living as a lost human being in rebellion against the authority of God, or whether we are saved with the power of God living on the inside of us, we still have an old nature that rebels against God. And the only hope we have is the power of the Spirit of God living on the inside of us. A new nature that is given. But listen, the old one lusteth against the new one. And uh, the Bible says that, you know, the spirit lusteth against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit so that we are unable to do the things that we would do. This is why we've got to be disciplined. We've got to have discipline in our life and chastisement. Now, when I was a young boy growing up in my daddy's house, I did not like the chastisement of my father. Uh, he would tear the hide off of you, and it didn't seem to bother him at all. My mother, on the other hand, she seemed to be a little bit more tender-hearted. She would come and, uh, you know, uh, um, pat me on the back and tell me it's going to be all right, which really didn't help very much at all after he had disciplined me with that big, thick, heavy leather belt that uh, made that horrible sound when it came fluttering out of his belt loops. But uh, certainly the Bible says that they disciplined us, uh, you know, really for their glory and their honor. But the Bible teaches us this, that God disciplines us for our good. Sometimes it seems like my daddy whooped me just because it, it pleased him. Yeah, he, he looked like he had a little evil dripping out the corner of his mouth every once in a while when, when, he, uh, when he did that. But not God, not the Father, not our Heavenly Father. We realize that He does things for our good. Uh, it brings us into subjection to His will, His authority, His way. But uh, what does it mean to be in subjection? Remember the title of the message is are we in objection or we are in subjection to the authority of, uh, of God and the Word of God, the will of God, the way of God in our lives. I love the verse in the Bible, by the way, that says bringing every thought into subjection to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Have you ever tried to do that? Bring every thought into the Lordship, uh, into subjection to the Lordship of Jesus Christ or into the Lordship of God the Father. Well, I found out years ago that you cannot bring a thought into subjection until you have a thought that needs to be brought into subjection. You see, I was trying to train my mind to where I would never have an evil or wicked or sinful thought. I would bring my mind into subjection. But no, it says bringing every thought into subjection. The, the mind is almost as wicked as the tongue. The Bible says in James... No man can tame the tongue. And by the way, uh, no man can, can bring or uh, harness uh, the mind and bring it into subjection. The mind is the mind. And it is under the influence of so many different things. I don't have enough time to share those with you now. But I do know this. That if we have the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of us, He can bring our tongue into subjection. No man can do it, the Bible says in James. But the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of us can. And so can the Holy Spirit of God bring our thoughts into subjection. Not before we have them. He can. But usually here's what happens. We have a thought. And when we have a thought, then we realize it was either a good thought or a bad thought. It was either righteous or it was wicked. 
And then when we realize we've had a wicked thought, then we can bring that into subjection to the Lordship of Jesus Christ by confessing what it was. Lord, that was evil. I don't know where it came from. I don't know why, why I thought that. I, I don't know where, how, I, how I had let that happen. But God, I'm sorry. I confess that it is sin. I repent. I turn away from that. And I ask, oh God, that You'll strengthen me on the inner man by the power of the Holy Spirit that I might bring my body, my mind, my tongue, my life, everything that I am into subjection to You that You might rule and reign in my heart, my home, my family, and my life. Now, you only have to do that about a hundred times a day if you're really going to get a grip on this thing we call the old nature and the mind, the will, and the emotion of a human being. But what does it mean to bring into subjection our lives, everything that we are, to our Heavenly Father? Well, if you have your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 12, we'll read verse... I'm going to start in verse 5. I started to... uh, Now, I'm going to back up to verse 4. I can't help it. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Do you know what that means? That means that you have not fought the fight against sin in our mortal bodies to the death. It's not just to, you know, you had a, a nosebleed. Like going too high up on a mountain, you went too high and got so close to God that you had a nosebleed and you resisted sin to where you were being conformed to the image of Christ and all of a sudden you started weeping tears or sweating blood and to have a nose. No, this is talking about unto death. You have not resisted sin unto death in your life. And by the way, God expects us to fight that fight against sin. To resist it with all that we are and all that we have. In verse 5 it says this, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise thou not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of Him. For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom He receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. Oh, for what son is he whom the Lord chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you're bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, our earthly fathers, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. We better. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live For they verily, our our earthly fathers, verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But He, God our Father, for our own profit, that we might be partakers of His holiness. Holiness. My friend, listen, I want you to realize something. That our earthly fathers used to try to, to chastise us uh, you know, there's a chastening and then there's a scourging and then there is a step beyond that. I've told you this. The chastening is when God shakes His finger. My dad would come in and shake His finger. I told you not to do that. You do it again. You just do it again. Let me catch you doing that again. He came in the dining room, caught me halfway through my bedroom window, going through the window into my bedroom, out of the dining room, standing on a chair. It was up high. And I was kicking on the wall trying to get through the window where my sisters had locked me out. And he saw the feet print on the wall. And he told me, don't do that again. He came in and called me again. Closed the window down the middle of my back. 
<laughs> pull my britches down, and I heard the horrifying sound of the fluttering of the belt through the belt loops. And uh, I turned from my waist down into a red and white striped zebra. And uh, I never crawled through that window again. He did it that we might learn to be obedient to you know his commandments. He was my earthly father. Now I'm not saying whether he got pleasure out of that or not. But I do know this, that I learned some things under the heavy hand of my father's uh, chastisement. But I have learned nothing compared to, uh, to my heavenly father. And he does it, whether it was for my earthly father's benefit or pleasure or not. My heavenly father does not get pleasure out of chastening his children. But he does it for our benefit, for our good that we might be brought into subjection to the life that He would have us live. And by the way, the life that He would have us live is the best life that we could possibly find on this earth to live. It will make us happier, healthier, and holier if we would just submit to the will of God and not have to go to the woodshed, not have to go through the chastening hand of God. But what is it? Does it mean to be in subjection? Well, here's... One thing, and we'll look at some other verses. The, the first thing I want you to notice that it means to be in subjection uh, to the Father is to accept God's sovereignty. To realize that He and He alone is God. That God is sovereign. He has the right to do with us as He pleases. Boy, that, there is a stubborn streak in, in humanity that says, well, no, no, you see, you, you've got a bad skewed picture of who God is and what God is. God loves me and God wants me to be happy and God wants me to enjoy my life and to have all of the benefits of the things that He can pour out in my life. He would rather me be happy than holy. And I'm saying, oh no, no sir, you'd better realize that God would much rather you be holy than happy. As a matter of fact, being holy is really the happiest thing that you can be. It brings joy to the heart and to the life. Psalm 39 and 9 says this, I was dumb. I opened not my mouth because thou didst it. Didst, that's one of those old English terms. I love the King James Bible. I I was dumb. That means I I couldn't speak. I, I opened not my mouth. Why? Because I realized what it is that I'm going through was done by the hand of God. And it's only when we realize that it is the hand of God that is moving in our lives that we learn to submit and shut our mouths and not. See, I used to talk back to my daddy. Of course, that got me slapped a few times too. My mama, ooh, she was bad about this. Smack you right in the mouth. (laughs) You better not say something to her when she was fussing at you. If you opened your mouth, you was feeling to get the smack. But uh, God, listen, we, we understand that God is God. And when I realize that what's going on in my life that I may be happy about or may not be happy about, I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be there with content. Why? Because I know that all things are according to the will and the pleasure of God the Father. And if God sends me through trials and tribulations, heartache and suffering, if He is bringing me into subjection to His Lordship and His will, then I had better take it like a man. And say, yes, Lord, whatsoever you say, that will I do. I am bought and paid for with a price, no longer my own. You died for me on a cross that I might live for you. 
in this world. And if I've not been living for you in the way that I should, and you see fit to chasten me, to scourge me, then so be it, Lord. Take me off the top of the mountain. Send me through the valley. Whatever it takes for me to be brought into subjection to Your will. The only possible way that we can see the hand of God in our lives when we are in rebellion to Him is the hand of chastisement. If if God's hand is not seen in the trials and tribulations that we go through, I want you to realize something that the heart of man will blaspheme God. We'll curse Him to His face. Now, that's what uh, Satan told God that Job would do. If you would just take down you know, the wall around Him and let me get to Him, then He'll blaspheme you. He will curse you to your face. And God said, oh really? Okay, sick him. Go ahead, do, do your best. And what happened? Well, He threw everything in hell at Him but the kitchen sink and Job would not surrender his integrity. He would not submit himself to blaspheming the God of heaven. God has been so good to me. How can I curse him now? What he told his wife. Curse God. Why don't you just curse God and die? You sound like a stranger. I don't know who you are, woman. How can I curse God when God has blessed me with so much? But I'll tell you, the heart of wicked men, the heart of evil men, the heart of lost men, when things go wrong in their lives, the first thought is, man, why is God doing this? And we'll curse Him to His face. Second Samuel, I'll give you a look at Second Samuel chapter 10 and, uh, verse, and, and chapter 16, verse 10 and 11. It says this, And the king said, uh, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zeruiah? Uh, so let him curse, because the Lord hath said unto him, to curse David. Now this is when David was riding through. He had uh, done some things that weren't savory to some people. And here an old man comes running out uh, his driveway, so to speak, and meets David riding down the road with some of his military men. And he's cursing David to where a fly wouldn't light on him. Some of his soldiers were going to draw their swords and go and take that guy's head off. And David said, oh no, 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 no. Don't touch him. Listen, who am I to rebuke the Lord? If God has moved in His heart to curse me, then so be it. Now let me tell you the the moral of the story. If God has moved in somebody to do me wrong, or to curse me, or if something goes in my life not involving any other person, but just something happens in my life, should I not realize that the hand of God, the providential hand of God, is involved in everything. That no matter what it is that blows my way, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Thou art there with me. And as a matter of fact, Thou hast caused me to be in this valley. But I know that You'll never leave me nor forsake me. And if You have me walking through this valley, this desert, this hard spot in my life, then, O God, I realize that all things work together for good to those who love God. And I love You. And even though You're using this in my life, I submit to Your will. We are either going to be objectionable to His will or we are going to be subjected to His will and bend the knee and bow the head and welcome what it is that God has done. Wherefore hast thou done so? And David said to Abishai in that verse out of Second Samuel, and to all of his servants, Behold, my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. 
I mean, even his own son was trying to kill him. How much more now may this Benjamite, this old man that comes out cursing me, do it? Let him alone. Let him curse. For the Lord hath bidden him. You see, even God had moved in the heart of that old man and David recognized the hand of God in his life. Secondly, it's not only to accept the sovereignty and the will of God and His right to to do with us whatever He pleases, but to renounce self-will. Now, we we are very stiff-necked and sometimes even uncircumcised of heart people. We have a determination. We know what we want. We know when we want it and we want it now. And we go about trying to, to accomplish whatever it is in our lives that seems to be pleasing to us. You'll not be in subjection to the Father if there has been no surrendering of your will to His. Now we talk about the freedom of the will all the time. Of course, I believe in the freedom of the human will. We are free to do whatever we want to do. But I believe that the will of God, the free will of God, is stronger than the free will of man. And that if my free will runs into the free will of God, whose is going to win? God's is going to win. My free will does not trump God's free will. And if I've not surrendered myself to the Lordship, to the sovereignty of God, the way we talked about in the first section of this, then there will be no subjection of our bodies, our minds, and our emotions to Him. Let me share another good illustration of that out of Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 1 through 3. Uh, and consider the circumstances of Aaron. Aaron had two sons. And uh, remember, Aaron was the high priest and his sons were priests, most probably intoxicated at the time of the story that we're going to be talking about. They were suddenly cut off by divine judgment. Uh, you look at uh, Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1 through 3, and, and it talks about uh, uh, his two sons offering strange fire upon the altar and the anger of God, the wrath of God. Why? Because these two sons did not use the altar that was in uh, the fire that was in the altar that was supposed to be used to, to offer burnt offerings. You can't just strike a match and use it for the offering of God. You had a certain fire that you had to use. These two boys, they were rebellious. They, they kind of had, you know, the idea they could do things the way they wanted to, kind of like the boy that reached out to, to catch the ark of God when David was bringing it back, not on the shoulders of the priest the way it was supposed to be carried, but they were carrying it on a, on a wagon. It was never supposed to be carried on a wagon. And the wheel hit a pothole and it rocked the ark and it started falling and the man reached out to catch the ark, did something good. Didn't, didn't want it to hit the ground, but you see, he didn't realize that his hand was filthier than the dirt. And when he reached out and touched the ark of God, God killed him. God took his life. When these two boys struck a match and lit the altar, rather than using the altar fire, God flamed out at them in a flash of fire and burnt them to death. And the Bible says that Aaron held his tongue. He didn't say a word. Can you imagine seeing God Seeing God, knowing that it was God that reached out and took your children 
from in front of your face. And you submitting yourself, bringing yourself into subjection to the Lordship of God and saying, even so, Lord, if it pleases you, so be it. He shut his mouth and didn't say a word. Moses told him, you had better not say a word for the rest of the day because God is still angry at what they did and He'll kill you for what they did if you complain. Aren't we glad for the word grace? Just a sinner saved by grace. But it is that grace of God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that holds back, that stays the wrath of God in our lives today. If we were still under that Old Testament dispensation, that wrath of God, I don't believe there would be anybody here today. I'm not so sure that anybody on the earth, I believe there would be a scorched earth effect Job 1, 21 through 22, it says, Job speaking, uh, I'm sorry, Job's friend speaking said, and, and naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. So, Job, my friend, listen. Who, who is it that has gone through the fire that Job has gone through? And still, no matter what, even when his wife told him, why don't you just curse God and die? Of course, it says that, uh, that he did not speak or charge God foolishly. What that boils down to is that we, we, we need to justify God rather than condemn God. I know people that will condemn God because they think that the wrath of God, the chastisement of God, the judgment of God, they, they even say that hell, you know, that's too great a punishment for the sin that I've committed. That tells me they know nothing of the holiness of God nor the sinfulness of sin. And if they really realized who God was and just how holy He was, we would realize how sinful even the most minor sin that we sin against God is worthy of the wrath and the chastisement of God. I know, O Lord, that Thy judgments are right and that Thou in faithfulness have afflicted me. The reason that You send me into affliction is because that You are being faithful to me. You're being good to me. The enemies of God may talk about His injustice, but the children of God should proclaim His righteousness. We should justify God. Yes, God is just in everything that He does. Why? Because God is holy. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. God is holy and He can't do anything but that which is righteous and that which is good. So anything that comes from His hand in my life, I will justify God rather than myself. I will say, yes, Lord. So it seemed good to you. So be it. But thirdly, not only to be in subjection to the Father means to accept His sovereignty, to renounce self-will, but to recognize His love and His care in the midst of my chastisement. 
when I'm going through the hardship. Listen, I have got to have my wits about me and realize, man, this ain't the devil. This ain't the world. This ain't other people. This is not even me. This is something that God is allowing. It may not be coming from the very hand of God. Just like Job, it came from the hand of Satan. But it was sent by the will of God. Do we understand that everything that takes place in our life is from the hand of God? And we've got to recognize His love and care in the midst of it. Romans chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 says this, And thinkest this, thou, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same? You see, we'll look down our long religious noses at other people uh, and see sin in their life. Sin in others, this I see, but thank the Lord, there's none in me. But thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and you do the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of His goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, knowing, not knowing, that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. What was it that led you to repentance? Well, I know what it was in my life. It was the heavy hand of God. The chastising hand of God. When I was lost and dead in sin and trespasses, what was it? Well, it was the goodness of God that led me. I realized the goodness of... How did you realize the goodness of God? Sometimes it's that heavy hand of chastisement in our lives that make us wake up and see that boy, God really cares about me. He's not letting me get away with this. He has done something to stop me in my track. Do you know that's exactly what we do with our children? Our children will push you to the limits to find out just how much they can get away with. And one of the reasons that they do that is to find out really, does He care? care? Do they care? Do they love me? Are they interested in how I live my life and whether I live it well or live it poorly? Are they interested in whether I go to heaven or go to hell? Do we really care about our children enough to chastise them? Oh, we're not supposed to be their friends. We're supposed to be their parents. And yet today we have a philosophy that we want to, we want to be their friend. My friend, they need somebody that loves them enough to discipline, to chastise to bring them into subjection to lordship of the head of the home and the head of the family. How much more should we realize that our Heavenly Father chastens us that we might realize and recognize His love and care for us in the middle of those trials and tribulations that He has sent us to. There's a sulking submission. Well, okay, I'll go to church if I got to. If I don't, you know. God's going to whoop me. So I'll go. But then what's the flip side of that coin? It's the cheerful submission that says, boy, I love the Lord because He first loved me and He gave Himself for me. He died that I might live, but live for Him, not for myself. And what He asked me to do is very simple Just study the Word of God. Hide it in my heart. Go to church. Be faithful. Love people as you love yourself. Love God more than you love yourself. See, the the mandates, the dictates, the things that God asks us to do are not harsh. But I'll guarantee you this, God can be harsh to those that He loves if they will not submit themselves 
to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The first says, sulking submission, says there's nothing I can do about it, so I might as well take it. God's sending this into my life. It hurts. It's not comfortable. I don't like it, but I don't really have a choice. But uh, the other says, oh, wait a minute. It's good for me. (laughs) It's good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might know the love and the mercy and the grace of God in my heart, in my home, in my family, because He did. He perceived the love that was bound up in those things. Remember that God brings His people into the wilderness. It's that He might teach us to depend on Him. When you get cast into the fiery furnace, what happens? It's there that we realize we're not alone. What happened when the three children were cast into the fiery furnace and the king Nebuchadnezzar looked in and says, whoa, wait a minute, wasn't it three guys we threw in there? He said, yeah. He says, why is it I see four? And one's like unto the Son of of Man. Because it was the Son of Man. And God allows us to go into the fiery furnace that we might realize that we are not alone. Verse 10 of our text says this, that God chastens us for our own good. Lastly, fourthly, what does it mean to be in subjection to the Father? Well, it means to actively do His will. Remember, to accept God's sovereignty, to renounce our will, to recognize His love in the midst of chastisement and chastening. But that brings us into submission that we might actively put forth the effort to do what it is that God calls us to do. Verse 13 and 14. You look again at chapter 12 and verse 13 and 14, and it says this Wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. It says to make straight paths. And to follow peace and holiness. God requires obedience from His children. It's not, a, it's not an option. It's not optional. The guy who built the daycare for us in Vidalia, he had a box full of parts left over. I said, what is all that? He says, those are optional. I was like, I didn't think they sent optional parts for metal buildings. But what do I know? I'm not a metal building guy. But I do know this. As a pastor, as a minister, as a man of God, and as a child of God, The commandments of God are not optional. They are all packed into the Word of God for a purpose. And that is to bring us to holiness and to be able to perform the duties that God has commanded and God has called us to do. When we pray, Thy will be done. What is it that we mean when we say, uh, Thy will be done, Lord. Something more is meant than a pious acceptance of the will of the Almighty God. It also means, may thy will be performed in me and by me. Thy will be done through me, Lord. Let me be brought into subjection to you that your life might be lived in me. Subjection to the Father then is simply this. It is a practical submission 
to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. By practical submission, I mean this. It is a practicing submission. We practice the will and the way of God by studying His Word and hiding it in our hearts that we might not sin against Him. I heard a man lately say, God only gave us one thing to do. It's kind of like you as a parent holding on to your little four-year-old's hand, walking down a crowded street, and you tell your son or your daughter, you hold my hand. You don't let go. You hold on to me. And that's the only thing that the father demands of the child. And I say, whoa, wait a minute. It's not that child's responsibility to hold on to my hand. It's mine to hold on to His and to never let Him go. And God the Father will never let you go. He will hold on to you. I'll never leave you, never forsake you. I'll never turn you loose. But God has given us a bunch of responsibilities, not just one to hold on to His hand, but to hide the Word of God in your heart that you might not sin against Him. To study, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. To walk the narrow path straight as the gate, narrow as the way that leadeth to righteousness. Few there be that find it. You have the responsibility of finding it and walking it. To walk the walk, to talk the talk, to run the race, to fight the fight, to live the life that God has called us to live. And when we don't, then don't be surprised if you are a child of God that God sends hardships your way. We don't have to be sinlessly perfect. But my friend, we do have to strive to be sinlessly perfect for the glory and honor of God. And when we strive to be, God counts it as righteousness. Just the effort, just that we are truly from our hearts trying to be faithful to God, God says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for Your love, for Your mercy. God, help us not to be in objection to Your sovereignty, to Your will, uh, to Your hand in our lives. Help us, God, to be submissive in subjection to whatever it is that You say for us to do. And God, when You send those trials, God, help us to submit to those willingly, knowing that You do all things for our good. And Lord, we'll give You the praise and the glory for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.